Okay, it's Palm Sunday, so we're going to jump into the Scriptures together. Let's get into Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I had planned this morning to uh, do some teaching about Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right into the song. Uh, climbed up in a sycamore tree uh, for Jesus he wanted to see. You know the song. But I'm not going to teach on that one. Uh, Last night, the Lord sort of changed the plan. I'm just going to stay in chapter 19, but I want to talk to you today about peace. Um, Peace. Jesus comes and he is the peacemaker. So I want to talk about peace. There's a a verse, verse 42 is going to be our focus verse of of this teaching this morning. Um, Jesus says, would that you, even you, had known on this day... The things that make for peace. So I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I wish that you knew the plan for peace. I wish that you had known the terms for peace. So that's the title, The Terms of Peace. Listen, in honor of God's Word, will you stand with me as we read this passage? Um, we're going to honor the Lord and His Word. We'll read together um, from verse 28. Luke 19, verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the, on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Lord Jesus, we look to you today for peace. I pray, God, as we talk through your word this morning, that you stir in our hearts the heart of Christ, that he desired peace, that he came to bring peace, to make peace possible. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to behold you in all your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So this week, uh, we learned a lot of new words. I'm not going to try to say any of them to you. They're all in Arabic, but I do want to teach you a few new words. All right, the word in Hebrew for peace, you probably know it. Anybody know it? You want to try it? Shalom. All right, let's all try that together. You ready? Shalom. All right, let's try it one more time. I want you to say it, all right? Ready? Go. Shalom. Shalom. Right? That's the Hebrew for the word peace. The Greek word might be a little bit harder. You've got to roll your R a little bit. You ready? Erene. Erene. You ready? Here we go. Erene. All right, good. That was good. Shalom. Erene. Peace. When we talk about peace, we talk about it in terms of like the absence of war. I remember a couple decades ago when there was some really terrible wars happening in Saudi Arabia and in the Middle East, other places in the Middle East. And uh, I remember there was a theme. Um, everybody was saying it, signs everywhere, peace in the Middle East. You guys remember that? Am I the only old one here? Peace in the Middle East, right? What we're talking about there is the absence of war. We just want those people to stop fighting. When the Bible talks about shalom, it's not talking about only the absence of conflict. When it says shalom, it's talking about making things whole again. Making things perfect. Making things right. What's been broken is now made right. It's restored. Shalom. Irene is the same concept. It's this idea of making things complete, bringing wholeness back to what has been broken. So think about it. Shalom or Irene is in terms of relationships. It's in terms of um, if a farmer loses a sheep, his flock is not at peace. So the Old Testament actually says if, if, um, if that's happened to your neighbor, bring Shalom. Bring shalom to your neighbor. How do you bring peace to your neighbor? Well, you, go, you help him find his sheep and get it back in the, in the pen. That's how you bring wholeness. So when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about the absence of conflict. It's actually talking about, get this, the presence of Christ. You say, well, that's really hyper-spiritual there, Justin. Well, yeah, it is. Because peace, biblical peace is a person. It's not just the absence of conflict. Peace is a person. I'm going to show you that, okay? Grab your Bibles. We're going to walk through some text together. Ready? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I've written them here on your outline. I hope you have one of those. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The next passage I want us to look at is Ephesians chapter 2. So flip there, Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Paul's writing and he says, For He Himself is our peace. He himself. Who's it talking about? Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. The Bible talks about shalom or erene. It's not talking about just absence of conflict. It's talking about a person, the person of Christ and all that he brings into a situation. So in in Ephesians 2, he says, 
He is our peace. And look, flip the page, chapter 4. What are we supposed to do about this? Well, chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of shalom, the bond of peace. So we are to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. One last passage I want you to look at. It's in Colossians. Just a few pages over. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through Him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So how does the peace of Christ come to us? No other way but by the blood of his cross. This is what peace is. Peace is not just absence of conflict. It's the, it's the presence of God in Christ. All right. Second thing, I want to move quickly through these thoughts this morning, but I want to spend enough time with it that I hope it resonates with you, okay? So I want us to see, go back to Luke 19. I want you to see the prophecies about this peace. So in Luke 19, the whole reason we're focused on this is because last night as I was reading, uh, it was like the Lord just said, I want you to really zero in on this idea of peace. That verse that I put at the top of your handout, verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And as I started meditating about peace, I began to see it's all through this passage. This idea of peace that Jesus, through the blood of his cross, is bringing peace. Let me show you where all that is, okay? Go back to verse 28. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, this is crazy. But get this. The name Jerusalem. You know what it means? City of peace. Get it? It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem. City of peace. Wild, right? The city of peace. Jerusalem. And then Jesus What does he tell his disciples to do? Here's some details. Let's don't miss them. He says, I want two of you to go into the city. You're going to find a donkey there, a colt, a young donkey. I want you to untie it and bring it back. And if somebody asks you about it, just say, the Lord needs this. That's a great plan, isn't it? (laughs) That would not work if you went to steal somebody's car, right? Um, That wouldn't work. So it's a great plan because Jesus came up with it. It's a great plan. It works. Exactly what he said might happen, happens. Somebody goes, hey man, what, what are you doing with my donkey? And they're like, the Lord has need of this. He's like, yeah, okay. I don't know why that works, but it works. All right. So uh, these guys come back with a colt. They throw a cloak on the top of it. And then Jesus gets on a colt. Why all of this information about a colt? Because here's the thing. A king rides in on a war horse. Kings come in on war horses. They come in to take over with a war horse. But Jesus saddles up on a a young donkey. A colt is an animal of peace. He's not coming in as a warrior. He's coming in to bring peace. And he rides in on an animal that says that. It's a declaration. It's slow and kind of wonky, right? 
It's not a war animal. Third thing is these garments of peace. This idea of these um, followers taking their cloaks and laying them in front of Jesus and this donkey is walking across their, their garments. The garments of peace. This is a, this is a picture of a, a person who has, is entering the city bringing peace. This, this gesture Jesus comes in with, He's saying, I come in peace. That's the imagery. Jesus is the Lord of peace. That's what they were told to say. The Lord has need of it, right? The Lord has need of it. So there's just some prophecies that are fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 9, um, if you want to find it, it's the next to last book in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What about that? Hundreds of years before it happens, it's prophesied. And Jesus says, you know, we're going to do this exactly like it's prophesied. This is going to happen. I'm coming in on a colt. The king comes in on a colt. These are prophecies that, that are, are, are talked about throughout the Old Testament. That's one reference. But Jesus actually prophesies what's happening in this story. Jesus actually says, he foretells his own death. He foretells a lot of these circumstances just chapters earlier. Would you take your Bibles and walk with me through these? Luke chapter 9. I'm just going to read them. I want you to see them. Maybe make note of them in your Bible. Luke 9. Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says in Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. He's predicting his murder, right? Who does that? Who predicts their own death in this way? Turn the page in Luke 9, later in the same chapter, Jesus has just healed boys, cast out an unclean spirit, and everybody is marveling. They're all like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then Jesus says, verse 44, let these words sink into your ears. In essence, don't miss this. Listen up. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He's talking about his death. And then a third time, go with me to Luke 18. In Luke 18, uh, we've just had the story of the rich young ruler. And Jesus told him, you sell out all your possessions and give it to the poor. Then you come and follow me. And the guy walks away sad because he's unwilling to make that kind of sacrifice. He walks away sad and Jesus brings his disciples together in, uh, in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he says to them, see We are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise over and over and over. Jesus is prophesying his own death and he knows that's why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the city of peace. For them to kill him. 
Look at one last reference. It's in Luke 13. And the reason I want us to see it last is because Jesus actually prophesies that in this moment, they're going to sing Psalm 118 that Lorenda read this morning. They're going to sing that song as he's coming into the city. Luke 13, 34, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city of peace. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, listen, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the song from Psalm 118 that they're singing as he comes into the city. Isn't it wild how specific Jesus prophesies this moment? It's amazing. It's because it didn't catch him off guard. Jesus is not primarily the victim of a crime. He's the victor. The one who came to save our souls. And this is the way he intended to do it. He was in control at every moment. But I want us to look at the praise of peace, right? Those are the prophecies. Look at the praise of peace. Verses 37 through 40. um, As he was drawing near, already on the way, the whole multitude began to rejoice and praise God. They were saying that verse, that Psalm 118, verse 25. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Does that phrase remind you of any other passage? Glory in the highest. That phrase, what does it remind you of? How about Jesus' birth? Right? Luke chapter 2, the angel comes and says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be uh, for all the people. And then he says, Glory to God in the highest. And peace, where? On earth. Peace on earth at Jesus' birth. Peace in the heavens at Jesus' death. Check this out because it's pulling us full circle back to Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see something. This is really cool. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And through him, verse 20... To reconcile to himself all things. Remember, that's what I talked about. That's what biblical peace is. To reconcile, make all things whole again. That's what Jesus is doing. Check it out. Through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether where? On earth or in heaven. Isn't it cool? Making peace by the blood of his cross. So at his birth, the angel says, Glory to God in the highest peace on earth. At his Crucifixion, as he's coming into the city, the week he's going to be killed, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the heavens. Then there's a rebuke. The, uh, the Pharisees are nearby. They're in the crowds and they say, Jesus, teacher, tell your disciples to stop saying that. Why would they say that? They didn't want the disciples, the, they didn't want them proclaiming these things that are in essence saying he's the Christ. He's the one All of the scriptures have been talking about. He's the hope for the world. He's come to bring peace. Tell them to stop saying that. Tell them to stop saying you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, hey, 
If they don't say it, the rocks will. If they don't shout my praise, the rocks will. There's no keeping this news quiet now, boys. I've been keeping it quiet after a lot of the miracles, you know. You remember the story how Jesus heals and he says, don't tell anybody. It's not time yet. He heals somebody. Don't, sh- don't say anything. It's not time yet. He heals another and they're like shouting. He's like, just go back to your village. Don't say anything. It's not time yet. But in this moment, everybody says, tell them to be quiet. And he says, if they're quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. This is the praise do a peacemaker. The peacemaker. So Jesus reinforces their praise. And then the last thing, the plan for peace. He says, I wish you knew the plan, the terms for peace. So I was checking this phrase out because it's pretty unique. And it's only this phrase, uh, pros erene in Greek. Here it's translated, um, the things that make for peace. Things that make for peace. It's kind of a, a muddy phrase. But it's only used one other time. It's used in Luke 14. Where Jesus says, uh, he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he says, which of you um, wouldn't consider the cost? There we go. Which of you wouldn't consider the cost before entering into battle? And he talks about kings who one has 10,000 soldiers, one 30,000. And he says, they come together uh, when one knows he's going to lose, and they come together discussing the pros erene, the terms for peace. The terms for peace. And Jesus says, I wish you, Jerusalem, knew the terms for peace. Because the terms that have been agreed upon are that I'm going to the cross. That's the only way peace is going to come between man and God is if there's a sacrifice and it must be me. That's the terms for peace, but they were unwilling to accept it. He said to them, I would that you had known. The word known there is not a cognitive known. It's an accepting. It's a believing and accepting and receiving kind of known. It's not just that you know and understand. It's that you say, I understand and I get it and I believe it. I receive that these are the terms for peace. And here's what I'm going to tell you. This is the plan of the gospel for peace with you. Have you accepted this plan? Jesus' plan for you to have peace with God is that He die in your place. There is no plan B. There is not another option. The story that I wanted to preach this morning about Zacchaeus. It ends in chapter 19 verse 10 with what is the pinnacle verse of the book of Luke. Verse 10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If someone asks you, why did Jesus come? That's the answer. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So I want to walk through four things really quickly here about the plan for peace. Here they are. The Son of Man. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no mistaking who He is. 
one of the uh, house churches we, we visited in Lebanon, they were teaching on Acts chapter 4 um, when the Apostle Paul, uh, and see, no, not Paul, Peter and John had been arrested for healing the guy at the gate. And they were arrested. And then after they were arrested, they asked him, you know, in whose name and by what authority do you do these things? And Peter said, and I loved that our brother from uh, Egypt was teaching us this. He said, um, Peter made no mistake. He said, his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There was no mistaking who he was. And let me tell you, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The point I want to make here is there is no other way. That's the point in Acts 4 verse 12. It says there's no other name given among men under heaven by which you must be saved. His name is Jesus. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. So to seek, what does that tell you? It doesn't mean He's looking after something that He can't find. I don't want to put Jesus in this position of weakness, but I want to put Him in a position that the Scriptures describe Him as as a shepherd who's compassionate for every sheep. Even the one that gets out of the pen, He'll leave the 99 and go seek that one. He's a compassionate, merciful shepherd. And He has come to seek you. you. Are you thankful this morning that God came and sought you out. Are you thankful? I'm thankful that He found me. He found me. And He's come to seek you. And He's come to seek those around us and save them. Here's the thing. You can't be saved unless you know you need it. Jesus gave His life a ransom for many, the Bible says. He died in your place and in my place. The last night we were in Lebanon, uh, I've been shooting these devotional videos and we were standing at the ruins of Tyre, which was pretty incredible. One of those pictures you saw just their feet on some rocks. And just so you know, that's a spot where Jesus walked. How cool is that? I was, I was on cloud nine, right? Um, but we're in the ruins and, and um, Jonathan said, hey, this is a good spot for you to film one of those little videos you're doing. I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we shot a little video. Uh, and while we're doing the video, um, two guys walk up and they're just listening. And it was awkward. I kind of lost my train of thought because um, they're listening. and It was just weird. And, um, but as I was finishing... Our missionary who's there, Chris, started talking with those guys. And their question, you know what their question was? He said, Jesus is the rock. What does he mean? Jesus is the rock. What does that mean? And so Chris is like, well, the scriptures say that Jesus is the cornerstone. And and he just starts talking through Luke chapter 20. And uh, it was amazing. We walk over, we have a conversation with them. And we say, hey, we're going to be having coffee later. Y'all want to join us? And they were like, yeah, we'll be there. So we met them for coffee and we sat across the table. I thought we were just going to get to know each other and chit chat. No, they go right back to Jesus is the rock. Right back to it. Tell me, what 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 did you mean by that? So we sat across the table with coffee and as, as 
calmly as we could, we said, well, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, no, He's not the Son of God. He was a prophet, but He's not the Son of God. No, He's the Son of God who came to die. No, no. No, no, God would never come and die. God is, He's too holy to die. God wouldn't die. Jesus didn't die. No, yes, Jesus did die. And He had to die. Because God says the wages of sin is death. And either you and I pay for our sins through our own death, eternal death in hell, or Jesus pays for your sins. But He had to die. He did die. Sadly, they couldn't receive that news. I want to tell you, Jesus came to seek and save. And the way He came to save is to die. And lastly, the lost. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get lost, I'm not great with directions. And so if I don't have a GPS, I get lost. And sometimes when I get lost, my wife says, Honey, we're lost. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm, baby, I know where we are. We're not lost. But I know full well we're lost. I don't know where, where in the world we are, right? Um, and she's like, we're lost. Pull over. Let's get help. I'll, fi- I'll figure it out. Here's the thing. When you are lost, you need help. And there's only one helper. His name is Jesus. If you want to be saved, there's only one thing you need. Need. You need need. You either come to Jesus desperate or you don't come at all. He came to seek and save the lost. Have you known Accepted, believed, received the peace of Jesus in this way. Have you? Have you put all your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? All of your faith. I want to encourage you if you haven't, today's the day for that. Give your life to Christ. I want to, I want to give one more quick admonition. I know our time is short. When Jesus came to the city, He's riding in on the donkey, right? And he comes to the overlook where he looks down into the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace. And all he sees is a city of broken, lost people. How does he respond to that? What does the Bible tell us? Luke 19, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he what? He wept. There's not very many times in the Bible that we see Jesus cry. Lazarus' death and here. Why does Jesus weep when He weeps? What is, what is it for? I'm telling you. It's compassion in the heart of God. So here's what I want to tell you, believer. Christian. I want to tell you. When you look over the lostness of our city. When you look over the lostness of your neighborhood. When you look over the lostness of our land, do you weep? We walked away from the conversation that last night in Lebanon and we walked away and all of us were kind of like, man, those guys were kind of crazy. And they, they did. They said some really off the wall things. I could tell you about it. But there's no point.
point. It's really off the wall stuff. I mean, stuff that's wild. And we walked away kind of laughing a little bit about how wild the conversation was. And, and then last night I read this passage and I thought of them. And the Lord said, why didn't you weep for them? You laughed at their lostness. I wasn't laughing at their lostness. I was just laughing at the craziness of their answers. And it wasn't laughing in a ridicule kind of way. Just like, huh, man, how could, how could they not see it? How could they not know it? But Jesus sees that kind of lostness and he weeps over it. And I want to tell us, church, we need to be a weeping church. We need to be a church that weeps over the lostness of our city and of our world. You may have the peace of Christ, but if you don't weep over lostness, you don't have the heart of Christ. And I want to have his heart.